Let's turn together to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13, we're going to be continuing uh, look at uh, our, our look at these, these parables of, of the kingdom, uh, this sort of extended teaching uh, of Jesus that uh, breaks up some of the, the action. Uh, Matthew sort of, uh, I don't know, stops at the various points and just lets Jesus speak throughout the, the gospel. So Matthew chapter 13, uh, we're going to begin in verse 24. I'll read through verse 43. That's on page 768 of your church Bible, 768. If, you're, if you have a church Bible and want to look there, it's also in your insert of your service sheets. This is God's word, Matthew 13, beginning in verse 24, re- reading through verse 43. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the weed along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophets. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forevermore. Uh, When I was in uh, primary school, there was a, a class a couple of years ahead of mine who were given uh, a rather dangerous assignment. Their teacher gave each one of them an egg, and she had drawn faces on, on each of these eggs. And she told them that they had to take care of the egg for a week. They had to treat these eggs uh, like they were their children, and they had to carry the egg with them wherever they went. And their grade was determined based on whether or not the egg was returned uncracked after a week. 
Now, one girl cracked hers almost right away. It was an, it was an art class. And the, the art teacher wrapped it in plaster to try to, to save the poor little egg. Now, needless to say, by the time my class uh, had this teacher, she was no longer uh, giving out eggs. But the, the point of the lesson was to, to teach the children uh, responsibility and, and gentleness. As you get older, you realize that there's many things that, that require uh, gentleness, don't they? Including uh, raising your children. But there are many things in, in our care that require that. And Jesus actually says the, the same thing about, about the church, doesn't he? Last week we learned from uh, the parable of the sower that, that not every gospel seed takes root. Today we learn that, that even the seeds that, that take root, that even among those, not every plant is, is going to bear fruit. Some are weeds that are there to frustrate God's people. And Jesus cautions us as a, as a church to be careful and to be gentle in how we handle these people. And to ultimately trust him to sort out the purity of, of his people, of his church. Now before we, we dive in, I think it's important that we, we recognize actually how important these, these teachings of Jesus are. As we, as we examine uh, these words over the, the next couple of weeks, we need to bear in mind verse, verse 35. That Jesus is revealing to his people deep truths. These are foundational truths about his kingdom. The kingdom of God. It's, it's like when Aslan in the, the Chronicles of Narnia talks about the deep magic. He says of the, the white witch, who was the embodiment of evil in, in those stories, that though the witch knew the deep magic, there's a magic deeper still which she did not know. See, Jesus says he's revealing to us the deeper truths, things that our world and, and even the devil have lost and forgotten. And so these should be precious things for us to hear, precious things for us as Jesus' followers to listen to. There's three things for us this morning to see. Jesus wants us to, to understand the church that we see, to understand the, the power of the church, and third, to understand the church eternal. So first, let's, let's understand the church that we see. Jesus begins by saying that he establishes his people, that he's the one who establishes the church, and, and he only plants good seed, doesn't he? But there's a problem almost right away. There's, there's an enemy who, who sneaks in at night and would like to see the would like to corrupt God's work in this world. He sneaks in when he, he can and he sows his own seeds, which are weeds. And it's interesting that what is, is revealed about, about this enemy, about Satan, the devil. And I think it's worth stating, first of all, that we can't uh, ignore. Satan. We can't pretend like he doesn't exist. Both Jesus and Matthew talk about him as though he's a real person. But he also needs to be, uh, we, we have to be careful to, to give him his proper place. If Jesus doesn't uh, overemphasize him. He, he, points, he points to him as an enemy. But he doesn't uh, dwell on him or obsess over him. He doesn't think over much about what he's doing. There's two things we should notice about Satan and his work within, within the world, uh, particularly as he targets God's people. And in fact, we should notice that, that the, the, Satan's major work of evil doesn't happen outside of these walls, but within uh, the church itself. But the first thing for us to understand about Satan is, is we should notice how limited Satan is. 
He's limited in what he can do. Notice that he doesn't come in and, and steal the grain. He doesn't take away the, the good fruit. He can't snatch uh, these fruit-bearing plants away. In other words, he can't take one of God's people from God. And he can't remove us from God's kingdom. Satan is limited. He can frustrate us. He can tempt us. But he can't cause us to fall. And that actually should be really comforting to us. Because it's Jesus saying to us that, that we truly belong to God. We are his. If we are his seed. Second, we should notice that that Satan tries to mimic God's own actions. He sows seed like God does. He has, he has his own word that he spreads. But these seeds aren't uh, the kind that will bear good fruit. Rather, they're, they're weeds that spring up and intermix with the good. And the real cleverness of the strategy is actually revealed in, in the response of God's servants to the weeds sprouting up. Look at, look at verse eight, 20, sorry, 28. They ask their master, should we go out and gather the weeds? They're frustrated because they said he's, he's only planted good seed, hasn't he? But the weeds are springing up everywhere. You see, the temptation for, for these well-intended servants was to, to go out and try to make the field as pure as the day it was planted. And the master tells them that, that doing this could actually be damaging to the good plants. Their roots are intertwined. The, the good plants' roots are, are fragile. So Jesus the master calls his servants to be gentle and to be patient. This is actually a, a word of warning and, and caution to us as, as a church, isn't it? Maybe some of you are, are coming to Grace Church because uh, your last church wasn't, wasn't perfect and that frustrated you. Maybe you think that, that a small church plant has a real shot at, at getting it right if, if, if you come along and just tell us exactly how to do that. Jesus says, actually, we should expect imperfection. We should expect Satan to sow discord. He's sowing his own word after all, isn't he? We should expect there to be weeds in our plant. So what are we to do? Well, I think there, there's two questions that are, that are asked here by the servants, aren't there? That I think are the very questions on our own minds. The first is in verse 27. If, if we've sowed good seed, then, then how are there weeds? If we've sowed good seed, then, then how are there weeds? In other words, where's this evil coming from? If God's establishing his church and building his kingdom, then why is there still evil within it? Why, aren't we, uh, why, why isn't there perfection? Shouldn't we be pursuing perfection and, and, and perfect holiness? And the answer verse, in verse 28 is, is short and, and not altogether satisfying. The master simply says an enemy has done this. Now, why, why, why does he simply say that? Why doesn't he give us a fuller explanation? Well, what this, this simply points out is that God didn't do it. He's not the author of evil. God can do, uh, can only do good. Now, this is what's what's called the the problem of evil, and both. Uh, scholars and, and, and theologians have struggled with, with this problem forever. If, if God's only good and he's created everything, then, then where is this evil coming from? And all that Jesus tells us is that God isn't the author of it. 
that he only sows good seed. And that has to be enough for the, for the moment. But we'll circle back around to this later. The second question that's asked is, is uh, also in verse 28. So, so what do we do about it? Do you want us to go and, and pull it up? Our, our instinct as in the church is to, to want to, to take decisive action. That we, we, we want to leave no doubt about where we stand. We want to protect the purity of the church. But Jesus first calls us to gentleness, doesn't he? He says if you, go, if you just go in and start pulling stuff out, then you're going to do more harm than good. You're going to damage the delicate people of God whose roots are fragile and need gentleness and care. This is one of those things that is incredibly difficult for us to get right. We talk about church discipline, don't we? I, I preached on that in the evening a few, well, a couple of months back, right? Jesus will, will talk about church discipline too. And he'll talk about what that looks like in chapter 18. How do we, how do we square discipline and rebuking sinners and, and calling them back to Jesus with, with gentleness and patience that Jesus talks about here? How can we boldly proclaim Christ if we're meant to not uproot the sinners in our midst. And I think that Jesus isn't, isn't calling us to be silent. And he's not calling us to be non-judgmental about the sin we see around us and in our church. But he is calling us to be slow and gracious and gentle in how we deal with it. Because we don't always know who is a weed and who is the wheat. So we have to be careful and gentle and gracious and merciful and how we treat one another. See, the danger, the extreme, is to seek perfection and absolute purity and to think that we're the ones who, who can get that on this side of eternity. And what happens when you, when you seek perfection, when you seek absolute purity, you become an extremist. It, it leads to, to destructive and at times abusive behavior, uh, not to mention hip, hypocrisy. Martin Luther actually said of this passage that the church cannot be without evil people. Those fanatics who don't want to tolerate any weeds end up with no wheat either. See, this is where Jesus calls us as a church to patiently trust him, doesn't he? To trust him for our purity as, as his people. He says if we're, we're going to bear fruit for him, then we have to be patient and trust him to know his work. Because the day is coming when he will sort the weeds from the wheat. Jesus is the one who, who brings about our purity and brings purity to his people, his church. Now the second thing this morning is, is Jesus wants us to, to understand the power of, of the church. He's telling us these, these two parables that the, the, in these two parables of the, the, uh, the leaven and, and the mustard seed that these, the church is an unstoppable force but not in the way we often think. The evangelical church um, throughout the world has often wanted to, to present the power of the church as being this sort of explosive movement where we see the church grow rapidly and have uh, a major influence on, on the whole world. We think the power of the church is, is uh, this powerful force like a tidal wave or an earthquake, something that, that shakes the world to its core. And Jesus says that it's actually more more plotting than that. It's, 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 it's almost limping along. It, it, it's that little thing that you, 
you underestimate and you overlook until you just can't ignore it. You see the impact of the kingdom and the, the kingdom breaking into the world over, over the long term. It's not something that you can measure in a weekend revival or even in a, a decade or two of, of church planting. But that doesn't mean the church of Christ isn't an unstoppable force. Jesus says it's very much that. Jesus uses this idea of a mustard seed. Some of you uh, maybe have little mustard seeds in your, in your uh, spice cupboard at home. You know, individually, they're teeny tiny little things, but they, they grow to be these large bushes under which you can find shade, in which birds can nest. You can, this, this applies to any, any tree, really, doesn't it? Think about any tree you've ever sat under. Think about even the, the oldest oaks in this country. They, they started as these small little acorns, didn't they? But they grow into these massive trees. But the biggest ones were planted uh, several hundred years ago. You can't always measure the success or the, the size of a, of a tree in your own lifetime. And, and Jesus says it's that way with the church. We may not always see the strength of it in our own lives in our own lifetime. But the leaven's a very similar picture, isn't it? First, Jesus says this, this woman hid a bit of leaven in what would have been a, a massive amount of flour. The three measures of, uh, of flour by modern standards would be about 39 liters of flour. It would produce enough bread to feed about 30 people three meals a day for a week. But the pile, this, this pile of flour is just a, a pile of flour until some leaven is added into it. And, we, and, and what you see, as the leaven works its way through, it's very slow. It takes, it takes time. But as it works its way through, it turns into a dough that's useful for making bread, something that, that people can actually feed on and, and live on. See, Jesus is talking about the, the, the plodding, slow nature of the church. We, we live in a world that wants to see results right away, don't we? We want to see results and we want to see them fast. Well, Jesus says the church just just keeps plodding along. Perhaps at times even, even limping along. That's actually encouraging for us as a church in Britain, isn't it? You know, I, I think we often hear people bemoaning the state of the church in this country, don't we? You know, I do that sometimes myself. A nation that was once exporting the gospel all over the world with, with churches on every street full of people every Sunday is now diminished to the point where, where a recent study just in the last couple of weeks suggested that many denominations, including the Church of England itself, will cease to exist by 2080. Some of those even sooner. And Jesus says, Jesus says to us, though, don't worry when you see that. Don't worry about what, what the experts say about the, the state of the church. He says the true church of Christ just keeps plodding along. It just keeps limping along. You see, this is where we see these two little parables meet the parable of the weeds. They're all talking about essentially the same issue. That the church is called to abide in Christ and not to panic. Because he's doing his work in this world. This is the difference between true faith and ideology, isn't it? Ideology says that we need to, to be driving the church to ever greater heights. That we need to be purifying the church from evil and pushing ahead with with seeing the church grow. 
But Jesus wants us to understand the true power of the church. That it's not found in our ideology. It's not found in our fervor. It's found in allowing Christ Jesus to do his work in the lives of his people. And trusting him to bring in his kingdom and his time. You see, Jesus says the gospel is good. And the good thing about the gospel is that it doesn't depend on our cleverness. Rather, it depends on the goodness and power of the Savior that we look to for our salvation. If Christ is good, then his church must let him do his work in his own good time. And the promise that Jesus makes here is is that the gospel will grow and his kingdom will grow and provide shade for all of his people and, and feed the whole world on his goodness and truth. The, the last thing Jesus wants us to see this morning is that he, he wants us to understand the church eternal. And before we really get into this point, I, I think it's good to, to highlight these, these verses 34 through 36. It's sort of a, a transitional uh, set of verses here. But Jesus gives this very, very short explanation. Actually, Matthew really is giving the short explanation of the parables. Uh, and he grounds it in the Old Testament. Why is Jesus speaking in, in parables? Well, he, he grounds it in these Old Testament verses. But then what do we see Jesus do? We see him go into a home and share uh, the more complete explanation of these parables with his disciples, those who are, who are following him. And it's a subtle point, but I think it's a, an important one for us to get, that if you really want to know Jesus, then you have to engage him where he and his people are to be found. And that's in his church. You have to do what his disciples did and you, you have to sit at his feet and listen carefully to what he has to say. To, it's, it's okay to admit, like the disciples do here, that, that you don't understand and you need help. That's in part why you have a minister who, who paid to go to seminary, even though it wasn't Westminster Seminary. Palpingo will say it was just sort of not quite, you, you know, I'll admit I don't know everything. I don't have all the answers, but I'm here to help you. I'm here to help all of us to understand God's word. So let's be dependent on God's word. Let's be dependent on the Holy Spirit. Let's be dependent upon one another to to help each other to understand the word of God. Now, that's a small aside. Let's let's look at the the explanation of this parable in a a little more detail. First of all, uh, you hear Jesus giving a very high view of the sower, doesn't he? Because Jesus says he's the one who's sowing the seed. You know, we, we talk in the church sometimes about, about sowing seeds and spreading seeds. Actually, Jesus is the one who's sowing seeds. He's the one who, who spreads the gospel. He, he might use us to, to proclaim it, but Jesus is the one who spreads it. And he only sows good seed, doesn't he? But again, there's an enemy who sows bad seed and, and upsprings the sons of, of the evil one. Again, that's, that's the devil. Jesus' uh, uh, fo- focus here is really, is really on judgment, isn't it? That's something that, that many modern churches don't really like to talk about. They'll shy away from it. But Jesus doesn't, does he? He's, he's quite clear and explicit in verses 40 to 43. Look at these verses again. Here's what Jesus says. He says, Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Now I think there's three things for us to take away from from this explanation of this parable. First of all, notice the intimacy of evil with God's people. I didn't go back and read these these verses from the explanation, but but notice that the, the wheat and the weeds grow together, don't they? Jesus presents this, this uh, dichotomy of the people of Christ and the people of the evil one. But he doesn't present them as, as two armies assembled on a, on a field of battle on opposite sides of a field, do they? You know, these are, are two peoples that are, that are intermingled in that enmity with one another. You know, this, isn't, this isn't a battlefield. This is more like a, a, a spy novel, right? It's like Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, where, where a Soviet agent has, has infiltrated the, the British intelligence service. And they have to call in a, a retired agent, George Smiley, to work out which of them is the enemy in their midst. And that story is, uh, is, is mind-bending because it's hard to tell on the surface who's the enemy. It's, it's a story that's painful for the characters in it because they realize at one point that it's one of them. That the enemy is, is someone in the room. Someone who they had worked with, had dinners with, spent time with. Some had even gone to school together. And yet this person who they, they knew so well had betrayed them to the enemy. And Jesus says that's, that's kind of what the church is like. We're up close and personal with individuals working for the evil one. Some of them may not even be aware of it. But he says we don't need to fear that. And we don't need to become paranoid because of the second thing that we learn from this explanation. And that is that Jesus is the solution to the problem of evil. We mentioned the problem of evil earlier and how it's, how it's one of those things that, that uh, philosophers and theologians and scholars have been turning over in their minds for generations. Well, here's the thing. Jesus knows, knows who belongs to him. And the world can point out the problem of evil as much as it wants to. But the only one who has a, a clear and, and decisive uh, uh, a way to solve that problem is Jesus himself. Jesus decisively solves the problem of evil. And he can do it because he's the one who has the authority. He's the one who has the right to judge evil and to put it to an end. He doesn't mince words here, does he? He speaks very clearly about the judgment of hell here. And this should actually be a sobering warning to anyone who who is actively pursuing sin. It's a calling to turn and repent because Jesus is serious about solving this problem, this problem of evil. He doesn't ask us to solve it ourselves. He says we don't have the the means or authority to do such delicate work. But he says when the time of harvest comes, he will sort out evil forever. That's both a sobering thing, but should also be an encouraging thing. That's the second thing we see. The third thing, the last thing we see, is we see the promise of Christ for his people. Jesus says that there is a, a glorious future for those who are in Christ, doesn't he? 
He uses Daniel language here. We're going through Daniel the evenings. He uses Daniel language here. We'll hear it in a couple of weeks. When he says we're going to shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. And we need to stop and reflect on the, the wonder of that. And we can't even dare to look at the sun in the sky because it would blind us. I mean, obviously not today, but, but on you know, a nice sunny day, it would blind us, wouldn't it? If Jesus says we're going to, to light up the kingdom like the, the sun in our sky. That's beautiful, isn't it? Most of us here can't, can't even imagine that, can we? That's beautiful for us because we're, we're tired and, and, and weak and we're tempted and we're sinners and, and, and we're those who, uh, who feel shame and, and, uh, and, and we feel like we can't do anything right. And yet Jesus says we're going to shine in this kingdom if we, if we trust him and follow him. See, that's the glory that awaits the followers of Jesus, but it all comes back to this one thing, the very thing that we started with, and that is allowing Jesus to do his work in us and in his church. That's the catch. We, all, we, we, we can't do any of this in our own strength. We have to allow the Savior to do his work of salvation. That's why this passage is actually so hard for us to understand and accept. And that's why it's also so beautiful. Because our instincts say to take action. That if we want to, to please God, then we, we have to be really passionate and really serious about him. And that means sorting out the evil in our world. And Jesus said that we should be really passionate about him. And he says we should be really serious about him. And that actually means trusting him to do his work. What does Jesus call us to as his church? He calls us to be gentle with one another in confronting our sin so that we don't uproot the fragile believer. He calls us to patiently plod along in his truth, not fearing all the, the upstarts that surround us in this world. And he calls us to, to trust him to solve the problem of evil that surrounds us. See, folks, this is our Savior. This is our Savior. He's a Savior who's gentle and patient. But he's also a Savior who should not be underestimated because he's a Savior with the authority to sort out our eternity. Let us pray.